And uh, if you'll join me in a brief word of prayer, we'll get into the word of God today. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for, for already tilling the ground of our hearts, already meeting us where we're at uh, in worship, uh, in, the, in the word that was shared uh, by Eloise, Father God. And Lord, we just trust that you will edify us through the preaching of your word as it goes forth, Lord. And, and Lord, I just pray that we all are attentive to your word, uh, Lord, because we want to be doers of your word, not for self-gratification, but to love and honor you as, deserve, as you deserve, Father God, that our lights may so shine amongst those walking in darkness in such a way, hallelujah, that they will see our good works and glorify you and come to faith in Christ themselves. To you be the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, as many of you are aware, we are. this is part three, continuing our series on Jesus' journey to the cross. Uh, two weeks ago, we covered his triumphal entry uh, into... Jerusalem. Last week we covered his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Today we're going to be in the book of John chapter 18 and we're going to cover the part of his journey that goes from Pilate to the cross. From Pilate to the cross. And before we begin it today I want to preface it by saying something similar to what I said I don't know how long ago but y'all remember when I did the I was going through the parables I did a series going through the parables and when we got to the parable of the prodigal son I told y'all that that really is a in my opinion a misnamed or a mistitled parable because the star in that story is not really the son it's the father that's the, that's the one who should garner our attention. Because there's two sons involved in that story. But the rock in that story is the father. And that father represents God. And it's important, the scriptures reveal Jesus. The scriptures reveal God. It's not about us. As much as we, you know, sometimes... We want to get into stuff and we, oh, I want to get into scripture so that I can learn how to do this. Or I want to get into scripture so I can be this and be that. No, no, no. Jesus said in John 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And, uh, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures bear witness of Jesus. Right? So when we get into the word of God, we should be looking for Jesus in there. We should be looking for what the scriptures reveal about God. Are you hearing me? All right? So we're not looking at them for confirmation of what we prefer, what we want to believe. We're in there with no agenda other than God reveal yourself to me. All right? And so I want us to get into this story I don't want us to focus too, too much on the bad guys in the story. There's been a lot of, many of sermons preached about how weak and evil and vile Pilate was and, 
and all that stuff. He was a man of a position of authority, and he was put intentionally into a difficult position. And maybe he could have handled it a little bit better. Maybe he couldn't have. I don't know. But I don't want to be so focused on Pilate or the Pharisees and so forth that we miss Jesus. And the, story, and, the, and the point of the story that God wants us to get. Are you hearing me? We got a few people awake today. Hope we get some more that wake up today. So, so we <laughs> should I flip the table over? We're going to start in John chapter 18 today. We might make, I might make reference to details that are in other gospel accounts that aren't in this one, but uh, that's not a priority for me uh, today. Starting at the 28th verse of John chapter 18, it says, Then... They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, fresh from his interrogation from Caiaphas, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So they evade the question. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show about what kind of death he was going to die. So just very early in these few scriptures, there's a lot to unpack in here. One, the religious leaders reveal their intent that Jesus not survive this day. They're there to kill him. Now, they don't want to do it themselves. They don't want to get their hands dirty. And isn't it interesting? They're there. They can't go into the praetorium. They can't go into Pilate's headquarters for fear of being defiled in a way that would prevent them from partaking in the Passover. But that's a net compared to the sin of conscience that they're there for, the reason that they're there for. You talk about a speck versus a a limb. (laughs) They're so worried about They're man-made traditions. They're so worried about little aspects of the law and not concerned about the sin of their own hearts and the evils of their own mind. This is an innocent man that they have no problem railroading to death. And you can tell when someone is not really being forthright. It's a simple question asked by Pilate. He's not being a bad dude here. Now, I will say, having said I don't want us to focus on this, he's a, he was a cruel man. He did not have any compassion. He was a mean, cruel, 
vile. He was not a person that was going to be a compassionate guy. And really, justice wasn't a, a, a major value for him. And yet, he asked a valid question. You're bringing this guy up to me for me to judge and to execute. But you haven't given me an accusation against him. What is it are you accusing him for? And it's a really snarky, if I can say that, it's a really snarky response and an attempt to evade the fact that they have no accusation against him by saying, if this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have delivered him over to you. We wouldn't have brought him here if he didn't deserve it. It's okay. If you don't have an accusation, then handle it yourself. And in their response, they reveal, hey, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, that's under Roman law. They did not allow the Jews to do execution. Now, they didn't have any problem disregarding Roman law when they stoned Stephen to death, but that's beside the point. Let's, let's continue on. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to point those things out. It's unlawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. If the Jews sentenced you to death, more than likely it was going to be stoning to death. But Jesus said that he would be lifted up, signifying what death that he would die, that he was going to be lifted up on that cross to be crucified. And the Romans were the only ones who could do that at that time. Going on to verse 33. So Pilate, after they responded, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? What do I know? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate thinks he's got an answer. So you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. You want to know why Jesus came into the world? To bear witness to the truth. He didn't come here to establish a kingdom because his kingdom is not of this world. That's one of the perils and, and one of the mistakes of a doctrine called Christian nationalism. It is not biblical. It's not the objective of Jesus to establish kingdoms on the earth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever. He came to establish truth. His kingdom is not of this world. 
So if we're trying to establish a kingdom in this world in his name, we're missing the truth. It may be hard for some to hear, but I speak it in love, but I speak the truth. This is what the word of God says to us. And if we don't want to be deceived and and fall into bad doctrine, then we're going to need to embrace truth. And even when it's hard to swallow, we're going to need to swallow it. Amen? Amen. So, it's like, man, your people's leaders, it's like your whole nation has brought you here. And why have they brought him to this place? Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we were celebrating. They they were throwing palm leaves down in front of him, and it was a celebration for him coming. But once he got there, he called out the religious leaders and the religious institution in such a way that the leaders and the devout who rely more on the institution than on God, who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, the sentiment turned. It flipped. And that, if it happened to Jesus, it can happen to us. Everybody's not going to embrace truth. And, and that includes not just people out there, but not everybody in the church is going to embrace truth either. Come on now. Because this is Jerusalem. This is the people of God. This is the nation handpicked by God. And these people reject the Holy One of Israel. So we're going to have to elevate and champion truth. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. The truth, the gospel truth of the word of God. Because that's what Jesus came to do. I hope you're hearing that today. His kingdom is not of this world. So he's saying, yeah, I'm a king, but... I'm not in king, a king in search of an earthly kingdom in a way that would be a political threat to Rome. I'm the king of a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom. So despite what they're trying to tell you, I'm no threat to Rome. Caesar, I care less. I don't want Rome. I don't want the... I don't want these earthly territories. Heck, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool already anyway. He owns it all. What, 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 what sense would it make for him to contend for that which is already his? Okay? So, so Pilate understands that he's a king, and I love it. I can't help but reiterate this. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There are a lot of voices out there, but everyone who's of the truth listens to the voice of the Lord. And I tell you what, the scripture, the Bible, the word, says his voice. Any tainting or, or uh, deviation from that, that's the voice of another. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Isn't that the million-dollar question? <laughs> well, in a world where it doesn't seem that we can agree on anything, everything is relative. There is no truth. There's my truth. And it's your truth and my truth, you know, uh, as long as it's what you believe and you're good with that, then you're good. There is no unimpeachable truth. Boy, that's dangerous. That takes you to, that takes you down a road that leads to destruction. But he says, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Now remember, this is a pagan ruler. He'd never met Jesus before this time. He didn't know him from Adam. He has no reason to glorify God. He has no reason to defend the Lord of glory. He had a conversation with the man, and in that brief conversation, he had already concluded that this man has no guilt. I don't know what y'all are doing over there, uh, Pharisees, but I ain't the most virtuous guy in the world, but I know this guy does not deserve what y'all are trying to do. This man is an innocent man. Isn't it amazing? Jesus has not, you know, we talked about him in the Garden of Gethsemane and talked about the internal struggle and the difficulty that he had to work through. Son of, son of God was eager and ready to go. In the spirit, he wanted to fulfill God's will. Son of man, the flesh part, wasn't so sure about going through everything that he had to go through. But he took that to God in the Garden of Gethsemane and he reconciled those things. Son of man, the, the carnal side, was brought into subjection to the will of God in the spirit. And that being, so he went there struggling inside to being in total oneness and setting his face like flint, committed, devoted to carrying out God's will. And here he is talking to the man who by position has the authority to decide whether he lives or dies. And he's not pleading his case. He's not sweating blood anymore. He's not worried or anxious. He knows he's in the will of the Father. And everyone who touches him, everyone who comes into contact with him, they're getting this man who is in peace, full of the spirit and faith, and they're being encounter when they encounter him, he moves them. Except for the ones who railroaded him there. They're not, all they want to see is him dead. But this man is moved by this brief encounter with Jesus, goes back and offers him back, saying, I find no guilt in him. Let's see what they respond to him. But you have a custom. He, he, well, not yet. He's still talking. But you have a custom. He's thinking of ways. Man, this is a big influx of people here trying to get this man killed, and they want me to do it for them. 
I've interviewed this man. This man is not guilty of what they're trying to put on him. He's offering a solution. Hey, you guys have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Well, they were committed to Jesus being convicted and killed. There's no difference between what they're doing now and what David did to Uriah. They're using the enemy as a weapon to take out the Savior. So they removed that out. Now, that's why I want to give Pilate a little bit of balanced perspective here. Because it doesn't, regardless of what kind of man he was, I know we, we pick sides in movies and so forth, and we want to really hype up the evil character and the villain because it makes the hero look that much better. But it's not necessary in this case. He wasn't a man of God. He was a terrible dude. That's all I'll say. But I see this terrible dude acknowledging the truth when the people of God could care less about it. I see this terrible dude offering an alternative, an option, so that an injustice does not get served. But the people of God here are determined to carry out the injustice. Like I said, it's not about Pilate, it's about Jesus. He's the one that's suffering the injustice. And yet, he is not angry, he's not frustrated, he is not vengeful, he doesn't have a vengeful spirit. He is still carrying it out with dignity, he's carrying it out and with love, he's carrying it out fully at peace and at rest that this is what God has called him to. And he is devoted to carrying it out to the end. He's not walking in a fence here. This is all happening to him. You're in bad shape when you are being judged religiously by religious people and you got the secular dude defending you. Not the position you want to be in. So he continues on. Uh, flip over to chapter 19. We're pretty much going to park here. We're not going to do any deep dive. We're just going to let the scripture speak for itself. And uh, see where God takes us here. Because this exchange with Pilate is really significant. Then Pilate, after they chose to let a robber go free over this guiltless, over guiltless Jesus, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Now, this is a guy that Pilate said there's no guilt. Can you 
They fashion a crown of thorns, stick it onto his head, gored into his flesh, and then started striking him and mockingly saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Can you, like we did last week, can you imagine, I know it would be hard, but put yourself for a second in Jesus' shoes here. You, if you ever want to know, if you ever question whether Jesus can relate to what you're going through, then we need to, you need to really pour over his road to the cross. Last week, remember, or, you know, it was last week, but according to this story, well, we, again, before he even got into the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew one of his 12 disciples betrayed him. That another was going to deny him three times. And that all 12 of them were going to desert him. He's carrying the weight of all of that. And, and, and he's dealing with all of this, knowing that as he goes to the cross, this is something he's going to bear alone. He's going to do that which no other person could do who's ever been on this earth. And this is a continuation from that. After the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas betrayed him with the kiss, identified him. He's been apprehended. He's been interrogated. And here he is being brought before Pilate with the intent that he would be executed, judged and executed. So he's watching the people so perverted, so tainted, so unaware of how God is moving. No idea that they have the very presence of God walking in their midst. And he's there to pay their sin debt. And yet all they have is murder and malice in their heart towards him. All he did was good. You know, when, uh, when Pilate asked him what he did, <laughs> think about the list of things he could have said. He's, he's asking him, what did you do that's got them so determined to kill you? What crime did you commit is really that question, what did you do? Hey, at least I didn't have a mic by today. So. <laughs> Just think of the list of things that Jesus could have said. Okay, you, you want to know why they're... They're so angry. You want to know why they want me dead? Well, I've set the captive free. I've healed the sick. I've opened the blind eyes and the deaf ears. I've cast out demons. I've raised the dead. And I spoke the truth. You know, um, I'm here by the will of the Heavenly Father to redeem mankind. So, I, you know, I'm the Messiah. That's my list of grievances. For that, they want me executed. 
he had a pretty good list. Not to justify murder, but that could have been a heck of a defense. So he's being, he, he, he's observing these people choose a criminal to be set free over him who has done no sin, who's committed no sin. And he gets flogged. And he gets beaten and mocked. And Pilate went out again after Jesus was struck and with the crown on his head. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. That's the second time he has told them, I've done this to appease you. I've given him some consequences here. I see nothing. For the second time, I see nothing in him that deserves execution. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. the very people who should be worshiping him. The very people that when he looked on them, it grieved his heart because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The very ones Jesus wept over. It's hard to suffer the consequences of actions you have actually done. Imagine how difficult it must be to suffer such angst, such hostility, and such actions against you when you've not done a thing to deserve it. So when we feel like Someone has aggrieved us and we are justifying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and how hard it is for us to obey God and carry out what we know his word of God says in loving obedience to him. When we feel like, when we feel that struggle within, we need to remember Jesus and know that he can relate to where you're at. And there is no such thing as I can't do what I know is right in the Lord. I'm choosing to give in to the flesh rather than to yield to the truth. Are you hearing me? That's why it's important to know what truth really is. Let's identify that this word is truth. What God commands is truth. That's what we need to yield ourselves to. Because if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, then whatever we can justify, we can make that seem right. But there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof leads to what? Leads to death. They say, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. A third time. 
Say what you want to say about Pilate, but this man is at least stood for three times and told them, I find no guilt in this man. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Oh, you want to answer the question now that they didn't answer earlier. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? He said, are you not, you're not going to, you really? You're not going to answer my question. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? To me, I don't look at that as some arrogant statement or some mean-spirited statement. He, this dude is looking for an out, a way not to crucify a guy who doesn't deserve it. And he's not getting any cooperation from the ones who put him in that position. And so he's trying to get some cooperation from the one who is accused. Anything that he can get from him in order to come up with a better outcome. And so out of that, he's like, talk to me, man. I'm your only advocate right now, <laughs> right? I need you to answer my question. Work with me because at the, you know, unless something else Unless things turn or change here, I'm going to have to make a decision one way or another. And I'm the one who's making the decision whether you go free or whether they get what they want. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And who delivered, who delivered him over to Pilate? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we know Pilate represents the big bad Roman government and he's this, that, and the other, but I tell you what, make no mistake, Jesus is in that position because the religious leaders and those whom they were able to influence were determined for him to be executed, for him to be done away with. And Jesus telling them, so Jesus' reply to him was not necessarily a put down to Pilate. He said, look, remember I told you about that kingdom, not of this world? <laughs> you know, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't be in this position right now unless my father allowed it. And I know you're feeling a little guilty. I know you're feeling a little bit um, uneasy about this. Feeling like there's going to be blood on your hands and so forth. But whatever it is that you decide, the greater sin was committed by those who's handed me over to you. We can obsess over the sins of others and be blind of the greater sin that may reside in our hearts and that we may be living out. So we want to make sure 
you know, I don't, again, I don't want to make the Pharisees the main subject here, but never did they open up their hearts or really go to God in sincerity with a heart willing to repent and, and really let God speak to them and confirm to them that Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for all that time. They just decided based on their understanding of the scripture and their, their perspective about the way in which the Messiah would come, Jesus didn't fit in that box. And so they just rejected him outright without seeking confirmation in the scriptures or going to God in prayer over it. And therein lies the danger for us today. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. When we discipline ourselves to get in God's word and to spend time with God and to listen to his voice, then we are practiced in the hearing of his voice. And we know what is his, not only his word, but his character and what isn't. Let's, let's carry on. Verse 12. And then we'll, be, we'll draw it, begin to draw it to a close. Verses 12 to 16. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. See, <laughs> this Pilate guy, I'm telling you, man, he, he's told him three times I see no guilt in him. He had this conversation with Jesus. See, we get clues to the heart in which Pilate was engaging Jesus by these little snippets throughout the passage. If it was just a flippant, uncaring, inconsiderate, heart unmoved by his engagement with Jesus at all, man, he would have taken a whole different route than what he took in this. Jesus wasn't cooperating, wasn't answering his questions, wasn't helping him avoid it because Jesus is not trying to save his life. He laid down his life so that we might be reconciled to God. So he's not the typical person being accused of a crime who's trying to get acquitted and get off from whatever judgment might await him. So this is a unique situation. I'm sure Pilate had not encountered this before. But after Jesus tells him that, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. So now they're letting him know, we'll go above your head. We'll let the rumor spread. And, and, and we'll be a part of, just like we railroaded this guy. I'm sure they didn't say that. but Just like we railroaded this guy and, and, and presented him before you to be executed, Hey, we'll get that machine in operation and we'll get we'll we'll make sure a bug gets put gets put in Caesar's ear that makes him question your loyalty to whether or not you might be partnering on the down low with some conspiracy against his rule. We say he calls himself a king. And if he calls himself a king, then he potentially will lead an uprising in an attempt to bring down Caesar's rule. So basically they're saying, don't make us go there. 
That's how determined they were, man. This is wild. And it's, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. We have no king but Jesus. Think about that. How blind we can be when we are being driven by our carnal minds Our hearts, which the Bible says are deceitfully wicked above all things, who can know? When we have agendas and expected outcomes and things that we're trying to manipulate and make happen and so forth, we could be so, get so much tunnel vision on those things that we lose kingdom perspective. It is blasphemous what they just said. Because Jesus is not only their king, he's the king of kings. And yet, we have no king but Caesar. These are the people of God saying this. So we're swearing allegiance to Caesar. What are you going to do? So he delivered him over to be crucified, and we all know that Jesus, um, I can draw in details from other uh, gospels, but they take him, they nail him to a cross, and it is fulfilled that he is lifted up on a cross to pay, the, pay for the sins of the whole world. So the religious leaders finally get their wish. Jesus was crucified. There he hangs on the cross in agony, his life ebbing away as he's bleeding out, dying for our sins. But this is the will of the Father. Despite all the sin, despite all the deception, the crookedness, and everything that got him there, 
the fact that he is there on the cross is the will of the Father. Therefore, him on that cross is a sacred and holy thing that is happening here. There was nothing sacred and holy about the crowd, about the religious leaders, about the Roman system of government. None of that stuff was holy, but, but Jesus being on that cross and crucified is a sacred and holy thing that is taking place. And while the only begotten Son of God is laying down his life for our salvation so that we may have eternal life through faith in him, if you, if you read on to the later verses, which I will not do, you will see one thing. The religious leaders are complaining. Pettiness abounds. I'll say, say this. Pettiness abounds. While this holy sacred thing is going on, pettiness is happening all around him. Why do I say this? The, the religious leaders have gotten their way. He's nailed to a cross. He's not going to live past the day. But Pilate did one thing. He put an inscription over him on the cross that called him the king of the Jews. And it was in three languages, man. It was in Greek. It was in Latin uh, and Aramaic as well. And having won, having gotten the outcome they wanted, they're upset. Jesus is in agony. He's bleeding out on the cross. And they're up there saying, hey, you know what? I don't like that. Why don't you change it to, here's the one who said he was the king of the Jews. But Paulus said, no, 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 no. What I, what I wrote will stay the same. This sacred holy thing going on, pettiness. And not only that, while this sacred holy thing is happening, you got the Roman guards gambling for his clothes. You know, an innocent life is ebbing away here. The only one who tried to stop it was Pilate. Imagine that, man. The only begotten Son of God sent to the cross by his own people. But I'm glad that we have both Jew and Gentile involved in this because both Jew and Gentile, the two will be made one in this, in this same Savior. Salvation is for Jew and Gentile, and both are well represented here in this moment. And not everybody's conducting themselves appropriately in this moment. And yet Jesus is steadfast, immovable, intent on seeing this thing through. Jesus is not distracted and not deterred by the pettiness being displayed in that moment. If I were to read on, you'd also see 
He sees his precious mother. He's on the cross. He doesn't have much longer now. He's already been pierced in his side. He's about to utter his last two statements on the cross. He sees his precious mother standing there, refusing to leave his side as he hangs there dying. And he entrusts his mother's care to the disciple that he loved, which I believe is John. Had a technological glitch here. Sorry. And he looks, and I'll just tell you the scripture reference, 26, 27 of John 19. And he looks at his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So even in that moment of his character being assassinated and his body being beaten and bruised and murdered, agony and pain, he has the capacity to make sure that everything's going to be all right with mama after he's gone. That's Jesus. He's un, there's nothing he won't go through to be there for you. There's nothing he won't go through to redeem you. There's nothing he won't endure for your sake. I hope you're hearing that beautiful message in that today. And we know he finally said, I thirst. He gave him the sour wine. He said, I, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. When he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. for you today story of the son of God the only begotten son of God who was the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the whole world In this story, Jesus is the central figure. Jesus is the superstar. Don't obsess over the Pharisees and the crowd. Don't obsess over Pilate or the soldiers. 
none of that stuff. You want to take it in. And you want to use those details to provide appropriate context, but don't let them draw you away from the central figure, which is Jesus. All the hostilities that he endured. You know what Hebrews said? He who endured such hostilities against himself. He persevered through it. You know why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured it. See, we, the church, his bride, reconciled to God with his joy. We know from the Garden of Gethsemane and his flesh, he took no pleasure and had no excitement at the thought of going through that. His pleasure and his excitement was for what it was going to produce, what it was going to yield. And you and I are the beneficiaries of what he endured on that cross. Jesus. Our salvation. Jesus. Lover of our souls. That's what he suffered for you and me. And I just want to point out he suffered greatly on the cross. But what this points out is all the ways he suffered en route to the cross. The last few hours of his life was in agony on that cross. But let's not gloss over and skip past all the hostilities and all the things, all the indignities that he endured because as we embrace that, as we pour over that, it gives us greater appreciation for how much he loves us. If he would willingly go through that for the joy that was set before him, how, much, how great is his love for you? If he can forgive the religious leaders who let a robber go free, who were so intent on murdering him and the crowd that they had influenced, he even said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If he can forgive them, surely he can forgive you and I. If there is any doubt about the love of God for you and his capacity to extend his grace and mercy to you and, 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 and forgive you and, and reconcile you, I want to extinguish all that doubt today. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much he went through all that for you. And it would be his joy. It would be his joy for you to come to him in faith today. 
for you to enter into a relationship with Jesus today would be his joy. Heaven would be so excited that heaven would rejoice. And so I want to offer to you today, if you are here, maybe you were dragged here today. Maybe your worst nightmare would be, oh, Lord, please don't let me get highlighted. <laughs> please don't let me get called or whatever. Just put a blind spot in the preacher's eyes every time he looks in my section. I don't want to go. I don't know. Maybe you're here as a condition of your parole or something. I don't know. But whatever the reason is that you're here, whatever the self-condemnation you might be walking with, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't share your condemnation of yourself. If you're looking to be fully known, yet fully loved, then you're looking for Jesus. If you're feeling lost, and want to be found, then you're looking for Jesus. I'm going to ask you all to stand. If, if you're looking for truth, then you're looking for Jesus. If there is a void in your life, something that you've tried to move heaven and earth to fulfill and you still find yourself empty and wanting, then you're looking for Jesus. And I want to lovingly invite you to come forward. Come and yield to and embrace the one who you've just learned today has been the one you've been looking for the whole time. Because he loves you. Hallelujah. God bless you, brother. Hallelujah.